Hello everybody, this is Ian Reed Twist, the pastor at Holy Cross Episcopal Church in Novi, Michigan. I hope you are doing well if you are listening to this during this time of coronavirus lockdown. Today's sermon was preached on Easter Sunday during that lockdown, April 12th, 2020. And it's called Taking Hold. It's based on the Matthew Gospel, Easter Gospel, Matthew 28, 1 through 10. There's something very self-contradictory about the way the resurrection of Jesus is described in the Gospels. In the accounts we have, he cooks and eats fish, appears in a locked room, asks to be touched, asks not to be touched, is taken for a gardener, is taken for a stranger, breaks bread, vanishes, and of course ascends into the sky. What exactly is going on here? The more we may try to puzzle it out, the more enigmatic it becomes. It's as if the Gospels are straining against language itself to try to point to this experience that Jesus' community had. And maybe that's appropriate. I mean, why should anyone expect that this profound, holy encounter could be wrestled into words? I'm reminded of when that solar eclipse passed across the U.S. about two and a half years ago. A Lutheran pastor on Facebook observed that the eclipse was like the resurrection. You couldn't really take a good picture of the event itself, but if you turned your camera on those experiencing it, their faces told the story. That's really true in the Gospels. This mysterious event takes place, and it's the impact of that event that we can mark. What is unhealable becomes healed. What is defeated triumphs. And awe and joy are unleashed, rippling across the world and down through the generations. And whatever that mysterious event may be, the Gospels don't really explain. But they do insist that it's real, that it's palpable. When the risen Christ greets the women, Matthew says, they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Did you notice that little detail? They took hold of his feet. Jesus is not some kind of phantasm. He can be taken hold of. They have witnessed his body get whipped and gashed and broken before their eyes. The body has been traumatized. And now the trauma gets mastered and renamed. Death gets healed through this embodied encounter. So I think there's a place that Jesus' resurrection wants us to go, which is not about being literalistic necessarily, but which also pushes us away from abstraction. This crazy story about the undoing of mortality does not primarily belong to theologians and philosophers. It's not meant to be debated. It's meant to be lived by ordinary people like you and me. It's meant to be perceived in our actual lives. It's meant to be taken hold of. We're meant to encounter this narrative and say to ourselves, new life after all hope of life is gone. Final endings that are never final. Death getting healed. 
where does this actually show up in my life? Many of you know that I'm in school studying to get a Master of Social Work degree. And right now, right this semester, I'm taking this class on sex therapy. Speaking of the body, right? But don't worry, I'm going to keep this sermon G-rated. Anyway, a couple weeks ago, this clinician told our class a story about a client she had who'd been through a lot of terrible trauma, both as an older child and also as a young woman. We'll call the client Lily. As a result of these experiences, Lily felt out of control and depressed and often physically numb. She deeply wanted a partner to love, but wondered if she might be just too emotionally damaged to have one. A real breakthrough in therapy began when this therapist gave Lily an exercise called naming. The idea is you go into a private space, you know, like your bedroom with the door closed, take off all your clothes, stand in front of a full-length mirror, and name all the parts of your body from head to toe how you feel about them, what they mean to you, what words you were taught for them, etc. And then you journal about the experience. To help Lily practice with her clothes on, of course, before going home to complete this activity, the therapist got a mirror and asked her to just start by naming the features of her head and neck and arms, you know, stuff that was visible with her shirt on. Well, this is my hair, and it's always seemed kind of thin and stringy, so I'm not very fond of it, Lily began. And these are my eyes, which my grandma always told me were the color of sea glass. She always loved my eyes. They're a bit small, but I've always liked the color, too, and the half-moon shape. And here are my worry pouches under my eyes. I hate those. My dad used to flick them with his finger and tell me to take care of my bags or I'd never get a boyfriend. And then there's my note. And then Lily stopped. And she started to weep. She couldn't get any farther because all these memories were leaking back into her mind about how critical her father had been towards her body, how he had belittled and humiliated her, and how this had taught her what to expect from men and set her up to be vulnerable to what came after. All of that trauma, all of that grief, unlocked by the simple act of naming the parts of her body. After Lily had cried for a bit, the therapist said to her, you know, we call this exercise naming but it doesn't mean you're stuck with the names other people have given. You get to rename your body for yourself now. You get to write the story that defines you. So that's what Lily went home and did. Took her about two hours. Slowly, bit by bit, she named and redefined her own body. She wrote the impossible new chapter of a book she'd thought had come to an end. Like Mary Magdalene and the other Mary outside the empty tomb, she took hold. That's resurrection. That's how God helps us to refuse what seems final. That's how the healing of 
death meets us where we actually live. It's one way, anyway, one piece of evidence that belongs to the larger story. Where's that evidence in your world? Where's the resurrection appeared and brokenness been healed and trauma renamed? And where is it waiting to be? I'd like to close with a benediction that Paul offers the church in Ephesians 3, because to me it really captures this power of God to heal and rename. And because it's my wish for you in the midst of this time of COVID-19, when we need God's healing and strength, it's my wish for you on this Easter day. Paul writes, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Okay, everybody. Well, thanks for listening to this week's sermon. And if you want more information about me or the church, you can always go to our website, holycrossnovi, that's N-O-V-I dot org. And in the meantime, have a blessed week, and you can find more sermons as we publish them in the same place you found this one. Take care. <laughs>